You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. I'm your host, Tom. Um, By myself today, because Susan's in Alabama for her son's wedding. Uh, We're going to do things a little bit different today. Uh, We're going to hear some testimonies of some people that have been helped by Under the Shield. And they've uh, given back and they're some of our stress coaches. So as you listen today, if somebody's story resonates with you and you want to get in touch with them, um, if you call our hotline number, which we'll give you that at the very end of the program, I can put you in touch with anybody that you want to get in touch with. Or if you want to speak with me or Susan, uh, you can do that also. Uh, I can tell you that Under the Shields helped me after 10 years in the military and 27 years as an officer. I uh, didn't really realize how bad I was affected by it. It did take a toll on me. Um, but working with Susan and Under the Shield and it really helped me um, get through some hard times that I was I was experiencing towards the end of my career. And then when our, our friend here, Chris Farrar, was killed in the line of duty and we had to bury him, that was like the end of the line for me. I was done. Um, Under the Shield really helped Chris out a lot, and it meant a lot to him. Uh, he was, you know, the podcast host with Susan before me. Um, he was very instrumental in helping a lot of officers all over the country while he was alive with us. Um, and so when he was killed, I figured I'm going to try to carry his torch, uh, big shoes to fill, but I'm trying to do my best. So here's some testimony from some of our stress coaches. My name is Chad Villaborgi. I uh, worked for Chandler police from about 2004 to 2009 i worked from or i worked with the phoenix police from 99 to 2004 Um, before that i was in ems i was a flight medic Um, so for you know 20 some years i've been in public service that's kind of my kind of a background on me very very general um back in 2008 uh, on December 27th, we had a 13-year-old son who uh, committed suicide um, two days after Christmas. And uh, I lived in Chandler at the time and worked for Chandler at the time. So everybody who came out to the house, um, even before they got there, they knew where they were going. They knew what they were going to find and see. And... Uh, My wife had a brother who lived in Georgia, and about six months after it happened, we decided to move to Georgia and just start over and see what we could do. And it didn't work out too well for me. I just, I didn't adapt very well. Uh, I didn't make friends. I just didn't, I just didn't care for it too much. Uh, So we moved back here. Uh, in the meantime, I had tried to, uh, I saw counselors here 
uh, for what happened with my son. I saw counselors in Georgia. Um, and then about, I guess about a year and a half ago, uh, we have some friends uh, named Sherry and Dan. Everybody knows who they are. And my wife was talking to Sherry. And uh, like I said, about a year and a half ago, I was, I don't really remember much. I just remember that I wasn't in a, I don't, I don't know if I wasn't in a real good place. I just wasn't happy. I was just kind of depressed. I was just, you know, didn't, didn't really know what my wife kept telling me I was. And I kind of, kind of saw that. And she had started talking to Sherry um, about me. And Sherry had said that there's this lady named Susan who helps uh, first responders um, through, she's a counselor for first responders. You know, do you want to go see her? I said, I don't, I've, I've seen everybody. I've seen everybody else. You know what? I, I don't know what she's going to do, but if it makes you happy, sure. I'll go sit for an hour and talk and leave and know that nothing's, nothing's happened, you know? So, uh, Sherry, I, I don't remember how it happened. I think Sherry reached out to Susan or we gave, she gave Susan, uh, she gave my wife Susan's number and my wife had reached out to Susan and within an hour, uh, we had an appointment an hour later uh, to go see her. So that was kind of that was kind of eye-opening. That was kind of a, oh, all right, well, that's that's kind of cool. I don't know what she's gonna do, but it's it's still kind of cool that somebody, you know, who does this will will see you, you know, within an hour, not even knowing who you are, just based off of a recommendation from somebody from somebody else. And uh, I remember the one thing Sherry said to us. She said, you're going to really like her. She's going to tell you how it is. Uh, but be prepared to stay there. It's going to be about three or four hours. And I said, right. I said, okay. I, maybe an hour and a half or whatever. Uh, and sure as shit, we were, we were there three, three and a half hours that, that, that first day. Um, and I feel like I got more accomplished in that three and a half hours than I ever did in uh, the, the 12 and a half, 13 years of talking to counselors and therapists and, uh, or, or reading things or watching documentaries on TV about whatever. And um, I just really felt helped just after the one, one session. And so we started going to see Susan um, regularly. I think it was every, I think our appointment was every Sunday. And we went for probably five or six months. And she helped us through a lot of uh, other things that were underlying, you know, besides the death of a child. You know, we had some, some marital issues that we were, that, that had gotten brought up about halfway into to seeing Susan and and those got resolved um, when the, those got resolved when nothing was ever resolved for you know thirty years of of marriage, and I can honestly say a year and a half later i I feel like our marriage is very you know compared to what we've been through i mean we've we've been through it all we've been through a to z uh, as a married couple, and you know we're still together thirty years later um but I, I, I do credit a lot of that to Susan, you know, getting me through what I needed to get through um, that for some of those issues I've had. 
and it's it's a weight lifted off your your shoulders where you don't have to think about it every day and you don't have to it doesn't drive you every day you can have other things drive you now and think of other happy things and yeah that's just you know just really helped um just the last just like i said 6 months of you know talking to somebody who knows I guess it's I guess it's because Susan knows who first responders are mentally, you know, and she knows how to how to break down that barrier and 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 get through and um, you know let you know that it's okay and um, I think that was that's a big that's a big part you know you're not going to tell her anything that she's never heard before <laughs> there's no embarrassment since uh, since going through and talking to Susan uh, about a year ago. I went through a stress coach class that kind of taught me how to use the tools that Susan used to help me. So uh, I actually had uh, somebody who listened to one of my podcasts, uh, or my only podcast, I should say, uh, a year ago. And he was a guy that I used to work with in Chandler years and years ago. And uh, he had heard something in my podcast that uh, he wanted to talk to me about, and I remember when uh, when Tom called me in, that day and said that I have somebody who wants to talk to you, and uh, kind of a weird feeling. Um, you know, it, it was kind of it was kind of exciting at first, and then it was kind of stressful the next because it's like, well, what am I going to say? You know, and I guess I said, well, I guess I'll just I guess I'll listen listen and just see what he has to say. And then just kind of, you know, think before you speak. And, um, but it, but it is, I do have to say it is nice having somebody reach out. And after the two of us talking, realizing that our, you know, most of our story is the same, some of the same things that we had been through, um, to talk about it because I, I know it helped him, but in a, in a strange way, it also helps me too, even though I'm there to help him, it, it helps me to still talk about it and, um, you know, help him through it and, and try to guide him through it. And um, it's, it's just a really good feeling. I'm, uh, I'm Chris Devers. I work for the city of Phoenix. I've been with them over 16 years now. Um, and I got involved with Under the Shield and Susan um, about five years ago. Uh, I ended up losing one of my good friends, Daryl Rates, who was hit by a drunk driver out on the scene. And uh, three years to the day after that, uh, a friend of ours, David Glasser, was killed. And as much as I thought that I could push all of that away and be the big tough guy and not let anything get to me, uh, I started losing relationships with my kids and my friends and people that I was extremely close to. Um, and I blamed everybody else. It was everybody else's fault. And uh, a good friend of mine, James Bird, um, had started meeting with Susan after, after Dave and um, encouraged me to, to take the, the course. And I was skeptical. You know, I, I didn't need any help. I'm, I'm a big, tough, you know, athlete and, and cop, and I don't need, I don't need anybody's help. I got this. And 
I reluctantly showed up into one of her courses at the at the NOAA convention here in Phoenix. And I walked in and um, she actually picked me out and said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, James Bird made me do this and uh, we'll see how long I stay. And so I sat down, arms folded, completely standoffish, um, you know, still thinking in my mind, I didn't need, I didn't need anyone. I didn't need any help. And about 15 minutes into it, I got up and walked out and grabbed five of my friends and said, you guys all need to come sit in on this. And from that point, I developed a relationship with Susan um, and started talking to her and couldn't believe the impact that she had on my life as well as, as the impact that Under the Shield had on many people's lives. Um, as much as I hated to admit it, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I was, I was in a very, very dark place. Um, I was extremely angry at everything and everyone. Um, and it, it took her breaking me down and, and hitting me with the, uh, you know, with the red man stick a couple times to, to really truly grasp, you know, what I needed to delve into. And, you know, when people talk about, um, you know, men don't cry, right? That's, my dad told me that my uncles all told me that don't you cry, boy, don't you cry. Um, I sat on her couch like a little girl for about two hours crying my eyes out and never felt better. Um, I walked away from that with a completely different perspective of what I needed to change in my life and, and how I needed to make those changes. And you know, the outcome has been tremendous for me. You know, I, I recently got married and my wife and I met with her and um, the impact that she's had for our relationship as a whole um, on things that, you know, as men, we don't necessarily grasp, nor do we want to admit to. Um, she has completely changed my life um, and she is probably one of the best people that I've ever met in my entire life. Um, I am completely grateful to have her in my life. Um, and I can't imagine not going through that process with her um, and where I'm at now as, as a person, as a, a father. Uh, I have a great relationship with my kids again. Uh, my relationship with my wife is fantastic. Um, I actually have a friend group that uh, that I do things with now that I never did before. Um, and being able to open myself up to all relationships with with people in general um, is is all due to what what she and under the shield do for for people. And I can't speak highly enough about the impact that that she's made. Um, in a lot of people's lives. And I send people to under the shield all the time. Um, Cause I now recognize things that, uh, that people are going through that, that I needed to recognize and didn't until somebody said, Hey, you know, you're a real a-hole and you need, you need to get some help. 
and uh, and so being able to to interact and, and work with with Under the Shield and Susan has has changed my life. Um, I'll be very honest. There was points in my life where I wasn't sure I was going to continue to go on. Um, you know, and thinking about those things um, on the how to how to do it and make it the easiest for people in my life. Um, that was a, a very scary and dark place. And I no longer think that way. I'm, I'm completely grateful for everything that has happened and is happening in my life. And that's all due to what, what Susan and you guys do at Under the Shield. And, and I can't speak highly enough about what you guys do. So uh, my name is Dan. And uh, at 19, I joined a cult, which was the best eight years of my life. Uh, in the Marine Corps, I, um, I uh, got a lot of training. I mean, I, I'm not a grunt. I, uh, I'm an MP. I was an MP, military police. Uh, I did. Um, I also uh, was on the SWAT team for six, uh, four years on the SWAT team, and then uh, the regular six years in, as an MP. Uh, but after that, I, uh, I knew that I was going to be a police officer. So I I, I, uh, I met my wife, and uh, she uh, talked me into uh, moving to Arizona. And uh, after, uh, after several jobs, I ended up getting hired with the police department. Um, I always known that I wanted to be a police officer, and uh, I finally got my chance and my shot at it. And and uh, two years on, um, um, I also wanted to be uh, on the SWAT team. My problem is, is and I'm a consistent to uh, 245, 250, actually 245 shooter. And um, when I would go try out, I would choke, and I'd shoot at 230 right under where I had to be. So I uh, never really got the, never got the nod as, as an official SWAT member. But at the time, uh, the gentleman uh, officer leading the, uh, the the SWAT team said, look, Dan, you're, you're, you're on the SWAT team. Um, just because you don't have the name doesn't mean you're not on the SWAT team. So uh, he says, look, you're blessed. You come out, you do all the trainings, you do everything you need to do. Um, you're a SWAT team member. Just just come out and, 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 and train with us. So I did. Uh, I was on the, uh, I called myself the scrub team. I was on the C team. Um, at the time we had A, B, and C, and I was on the C team. I was a perimeter guy. Uh, no big deal. I mean, I got all the training um, that uh, all the other guys did. So um, in 99, and this is where, where my story really, really gets interesting. 99, I was home. Um, I was married to my wife. She wasn't a police officer yet. Um, at the time, I was going through advanced officer training. They, uh, I was home. For lunch, I got a page, um, barricaded suspect, 10P, had him quartered somewhere. So um, just like any other day, I, I suited up, told my wife, hey, I'll be back. I got a SWAT uh, call out. She says, be safe. I said, always, and drove out there. Uh, when we were out there, we got our signed. We, we were assigned our uh, our different teams. The C team guys ended up getting pretty much, uh, uh, you know, Put in the same team, so it was the snipers, the uh, the perimeter guys, uh, and a couple of canine, a canine, uh, maybe two. It was on the team. Um, we got our sectors that we needed to go. Uh, we needed to go uh, and clear the apartments, uh, and we did, just like any other SWAT team uh, operation. 
um, going by this one apartment. We had just started and we went by one an apartment and and uh, I noticed uh, and one of the other guys noticed that uh, one of the Arcadia door windows was, was broken. So two and two together means, hey, he's probably in there. So uh, we uh, we let everybody know that, that needed to know. Um, uh, we did our call outs, you know, uh, our, in Spanish and English. Uh, nobody came out. Nobody said anything. Uh, there was a, pa a plan formulated. Uh, supervisor, uh, you know, Sergeant Robinson at the time, uh, he says, look, guys, this is the plan. Uh, I want Jim to go first and your two. Chris is three and I'll be four bringing up the rear. Is that a good plan? We, we were all in the military and two Army guys in Air Force and, uh, and of course, me, the Marine. Um, he says, you guys, you guys, if, if there's any doubt, let me know right now. Nobody said anything. We said, hey, it's a good plan. We uh, approached the, uh, the Arcadia door, jumped the little patio uh, retaining wall, went to the door. We we're supposed to go on, on three after the flashbang went. Uh, we counted off. Flashbang was late. Um, it took about a couple of seconds for it to actually go off, and when it did, we went in, and right away we took hits. We, we took gunfire. Uh, I don't know when Jim went, die, went down, but he went down right away. He uh, kind of went to the right, so I went left. Uh, I'm engaging the guy. Um, but it's funny, because when I went in, I made my entry, and, and uh, one of the weird thoughts that came to my mind was I'm going to get shot. I didn't get shot and I kept going in. Um, but, uh, it was, uh, it was probably 30 seconds. It felt more than that, but it was probably a, probably a 30 second gunfight. Um, I felt another officer over me. Uh, I heard the sergeant said, get him out, get him out. I got up cause I was on my knees. I just engaged the guy and I was on my knees, got up, pulled Jim out. Because uh, I saw I saw him by the table and he was he was laying down, um, he'd been shot. You could tell. Uh, so I picked him up by the vest, uh, took him outside of the patio, handed him off to one of the officers who was there. Um, Reengaged my MP5, and went back in. Um, there was two other officers in there, and they were still fighting. So I, and I could hear the gun the gunfire. So went back in, let the let the officer. Uh, Cargo know that I was there. Uh, pulled out a flashbang. We were going to throw it in, and right before we threw it in, we were stopped by the by the sergeant, and um, he uh, he had us pull out. Uh, he had us wait. Uh, one of the other teams was was going to come in, and, and sure enough, we were sitting there by in the in the kitchen, and uh, you could see the two flashbangs going into the room, and they 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 uh, and then you could see the officers going in there, and, and uh, ended up uh, taking the the suspect out. So long story short, it, it was it was it was a bad scene. He was a bad scene, bad day. Um, young twenty five year old cop, um, family. Um, but I couldn't show that I couldn't show any weakness because in the military, you know, in the police department, swimming with sharks is like what we call it. You show weakness, they come after you. They joke, they laugh, they and they just rash us. You can't show any weakness, and I didn't. I didn't. Um, and that went on for almost 24 and a half years, 24 years. And, and um, I got to the point where uh, towards the end of my career, I just I started getting mean. It's not me. Um, but I would uh, I would yell. I would scream. I would I would, you know, friends that have worked with me for a long time noticed that 
and I just get, I was hostile all the time. Couldn't figure out why. Um, then during COVID, they said, "Hey, you're, you're going back to patrol." Now I hadn't been on patrol for years, and they said, "Hey, you're going back on patrol." So hey, it's no big deal. I can do it. Didn't have to wear the vest. Um, I, it was only I would always say, "Yeah, I'm wearing it," but I'd take it off and put it on, on, the, on the seat next to me. Nobody knew. Went to a car, put it on, but really didn't do anything during COVID. I re responded to two calls, and that was it. I, I, other than that, I drove around all day and drank sodas and water and, and ate, right? Uh, went back to patrol. Uh, then uh, then I got the word that, hey, you're going back to patrol. You need to pick a, pick a team. It's, it's going to be kind of permanent until we decide what we're going to do. Um, at that time, I was like, I can't do it. I can't. I can't. I told the supervisor, okay, I can't go back to patrol. I just didn't know why. I just couldn't do it. Um, uh, Sherry, my wife, um, had been talking to Chris Farrar, and, and she said, hey, uh, Chris uh, Chris wants us to go see Susan. I knew who Susan was. Everybody knew who Susan was. I just never wanted to go talk to Susan, right, because Susan was that crazy lady that, that, that – uh, she was going to make you do stuff. So I was like, man, my wife and I were like, yeah, we're not going to talk to Susan. We, we're we're going to avoid her. We know who she was, but we just avoided her. Um, but after Chris talked to her, Sherry, um, we went, talked to Susan, um, come to find out that uh, there was a lot wrong with me that I didn't know. After 24 and a half years, the garbage can was full. Um, and no one had ever told us how to empty it. They just let you fill it and figure out on your own. But nobody, I mean, they train you for all kinds of stuff. The military did and, and, and the police department did. They trained you and trained you. They didn't never train you how to fix yourself, how to spot your problems. Never told you how to, how to, how to notice when your can was full. So mine was full. It was overflowing. And um, come to find out my trigger um, was my vest. Couldn't wear the vest. The vest that I wore on patrol was similar to the vest that was on SWAT team that I wore on SWAT team. So um, we, we saw Susan, and, and she figured out, she helped me figure out that, hey, you know, my, my can's full, you got to empty it, because if you don't, you're not okay. And I knew I wasn't okay, but once again, nobody told me how to, how to fix myself or where to go to get help. And if you did, you were, you were kind of hesitant because, like I said, you swim with sharks. They see weakness, they go after you. So um, after seeing Susan, am I better? Heck yeah. Am I fixed? No. Will I ever be? Eventually. Um, but um, it's going to take time. So, And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for Chris and my wife for... Um, Pushing me to do it because, like I said, you're broken, but no one tells you how to fix yourself or where to go. That's the story. Hi, my name is Josh. Um, <laughs> so a little bit about me. Um, you know, raised on a 60-acre horse farm in, in Ohio as a cowboy kid and then uh, came out to Arizona um, because of the white stuff that falls from the sky, kind of referred to as snow. And uh, went to ASU here a couple for a couple of years and – I didn't really like being, I didn't like cops when I grew up because I like driving fast. Um, and there's a story behind that. So I uh, went to ASU, wanted to be a fighter pilot. That's what I wanted to do my entire life was, was to fly a 15. So that's what I wanted to do. But I realized I suck hardcore at math. Like, don't ask me to do math here in this room. It's going to be bad. 
And so I uh, joined the United States Air Force to see the world. I wanted to go to, you know, Great Britain and Germany and all these exotic places on their dime. And uh, got sent to Minot, North Dakota. If you don't know where that's at, it's not exotic. And I saw more snow than I've ever seen in my entire life up there. So I was in the Air Force up there doing security forces. And I did some law enforcement stuff. And I realized, I'm like, this is fun. I'm like, you know, if you, if you, if you have a kid that likes to drive fast, you know, you can't beat them, join them, you know, and then you get a license to speed. Now you put the red and blue lights on, you can drive whatever, how fast you want. Right. So then, uh, I got out of the air force, joined the city of Minot, North Dakota police department for a couple of years. And then finally came back to the Valley and joined the Chandler police department, the city of Chandler. Um, and I did that for almost 10 years. And so, uh, um, went through a career, worked patrol and, you know, got assigned to the bike team, uh, street crimes. I was a gang liaison officer, spoke to a lot of gang members in my career. Uh, a lot of critical incidents in my career, um, you know, a lot of different, a lot of trauma, just just stuff that we just see and, and hear and feel, um, you know, I've probably seen every manner of death that somebody can can go through. Um, and it's it took its toll for, for a long time. I mean, the physicality of the job, you know, um, I wasn't a school resource officer and no offense to them. It's just I wasn't I wasn't a, the community resource guys. I was the guys going guy going after the hardened criminals and, and the, doing the patrol work every day, the, the, that going from zero to 300 miles an hour in, in, a, in a moment's notice. Um, so, you know, uh, got, you know, got married, um, had a kiddo, um, and just worked the job. And, uh, one day and it was in 2016, got a critical incident, uh, with a gang member. And it's not a secret. He's a validated freaking gang member, heroin and meth addict. And in the process, I, you know, had to use force to place this person under arrest. And in the process, uh, he had a traumatic injury uh, that was in, that was incidental to what I was doing. Doing, it, and it wasn't an accident. It was, it, it it's just part of the game, and it, it, things happen, right? Um, not of my own uh, doing. And so, uh, go through all that. I survive it. He admit he on in post Miranda. He he admitted, yeah, I don't I, I don't have to stop for the police. I, you know, I don't, I'm not going to do that. Admitted to everything. <clears throat> he was criminally charged with multiple charges, had his day in court and he pled guilty. And then a week later he assaults another cop. So it's like, it's, it's, you know, he had his day in court. And so then I went through the whole rigmarole of, you know, internal affairs and, and everything like that. Then the rumor mill, I mean, it just, it just spiraled and, uh, they put me through some pretty, pretty tough stuff, uh, the department and my life was really kind of just out of control from a perspective of, uh, of just decisions making, right? Poor decision making. And it was, it was really related to the lack of sleep. You know, alcohol definitely didn't help. Um, luckily I was blessed to never get onto the drug train. Um, but I've known a lot of police officers that do that. Um, so it was, it was, you know, negativity. It was, you know, life spiraling out of control. I was trying to be a dad. I was trying to be a husband. I was trying to be a cop. And my whole identity was really wrapped in that badge. Um, I thought the badge number was like my number. Like it's my number, but no, that's the number they give you because you are a number, right? Sadly, that's the, that's the state of affairs. It has only taken me half my life to realize that, um, you know, and, and there was some difference. There's, let's just say there's some leadership difference that I had with my department. Um, and I'll leave it at that. Um, and then I meet this redhead fiery woman and that just wants to buck the trend. And, uh, obviously her name's Susan and, uh, 
Like, I like this woman, right? Like, it's, it, and we start talking, and this was before even my kind of my downfall. Like, it just, I, it was just, she was just, she's just an awesome human being. That's the simply put, there, there's no other good adjective. She's just awesome. And she knows it. And uh, that's the other thing, too. Um, and that's why I just love her. She, she, you always know where she stands 110%. There, there's no, there's no other side to this. And I was dealing with people for the most part that had one side that you saw, and the other side was, ugly, right? I finally met a person and Susan that was just true. And then I went through, um, through my whole, my, I went through a divorce. I went through, you know, to, to the point where one night I was, I was ready to do it. Uh, so one night I, you know, um, as I was backing up, I was, I was teaching a local gun range. And as I was teaching at this local gun range, um, doing what I do now on, on the side while I was still a cop, uh, there was this like lady walked in, um, her name's Karen and uh, my now wife. Um, she walked in as an instructor and, you know, we're like, okay, who's this, who's this chick? And uh, come to find out her background in law enforcement, uh, we really kind of just hit it off, like from a platonic, like professional standpoint. It was awesome. I'm going, you know, the divorce, did all that stuff. And I met her and we just really hit it off. And then I know Susan at the time and, and Susan's talking me through some really dark times in my life and my career. Um, maybe making me question every foundation that I put into my world. And then, uh, uh, met Karen and, and then, um, one day it just, it was just spiraling out of control my whole life. You know, the, the house, the, the whole dream of just me was just completely unraveling. So I go home one night and as I'm driving home, I, you know, my four-year-old daughter at the time now, um, my, you know, uh, drive home, stop off at the, uh, the fries and, or, you know, whatever store, I don't know which one it was, but, um, grab a bottle of Jack Daniels and go home. And, uh, I, I don't call anybody. I don't message anybody. I don't, don't put it on Facebook. It's just me and the world in my world, right in my head. So I put the kiddo to bed. And then at that point, um, when I put her to bed, I just start drinking and straight from the bottle, not pouring it into a glass, not mixing it with anything, just straight from the bottle. And, uh, I'm about halfway through the bottle and it's about 10 o'clock at night. And I have my cell phone on the, uh, the, the coffee table and it's quiet, no radio, no TV, but how loud is it in my head? It's just loud. Um, failure, just that failure cycle. Um, and so then at that point I, I just, I put the bottle down. I walked over to my duty holster, pulled out my Glock 17, um, uh, press checked it 124 grain spear gold dot plus P round in the chamber. Um, go back and I think about it for a solid minute. I don't put it to my head or in my mouth. I just think about it. What are my options? How long is a minute in that world? And for, you know, whatever reason, I believe in God, you know, whether it's God, Allah, force, crystals, whatever they believe in, my phone buzzes and um, I, I put the bottle of Jack, I, sorry, I, don't, I put the gun down. I don't put the bottle of Jack Daniels. You're not going to rip that out of my hands in that moment. Um, I put the gun down and I pick up my phone and it's Karen. And, um, I've opened it up and it says, Hey, cop to cop. We don't, you don't look like you're in a good spot. If you ever want to meet for a coffee, a beer or a bourbon, I'm there for you. And the first thing I could only think of in my really drunken stupor at that point was bitch, you don't drink bourbon. My wife drinks bourbon better than most, most men. Um, and at that point I realized somebody cares about me. And then Susan popped in my head about all the talks that we had. And, and I realized there's people in my life that are depending on me and, and, and a lot of my teammates, you know, I come to work. Imagine you as a supervisor and you're going, this guy, this guy that's having all these problems, 
you're coming to work. And he tells you, because I told my supervisor this, I show up at a C minus level every day attitude. That's scary that you're, you, you, that you hear that from a troop that's showing up every day, talking to the most dangerous people in the world, and they have a C minus attitude. And I got to an A plus every day because my, my teammates would help me and get me through that. And so I, I realized there was a lot of people that just cared about me. And at that point, I took the gun. I put it back in the duty holster. I didn't unload it. I just dropped it in the duty holster. And I finished the ball of Jack Daniels because I'm not a quitter. And uh, and then I and then I went to bed and I, you know, I paid for that ball of Jack Daniels the next morning. And I've been good ever since. And the Glock that you see in, uh, on my company website, when you want the red dot on it and the, the streamlight, and it's the same Glock that almost took my own life. So – um, telling that story is, is, it's important because that's, that's what Susan, that's what my wife, I, cause you know, again, when, when she got me through that, it's like, that's insanely hot that she can shoot, but also she got me through the toughest parts of my life. And if I'm, you know, if I'm going to date it and I eventually married it and I've been good ever since. And, you know, knowing that about me, um, you know, I always ask this question is knowing that about me and it's a rhetorical one, but knowing this all about me, does that make me look less stable? Or more stable. Um, the way I look at it is like, like uh, Karen said, is the post-traumatic growth, right? I think I'm more stable because I've seen my darkest days. I've crossed my darkest valleys, right? And I know that if I ever go back to that, I can see the warning signs and I can get the help like Hunter the Shield provided me and my wife provided me that, that I deserve, that I honestly deserve, right? It's, it's my, it's my, it's my right, right? Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about, I guess I, when I met, uh, the redheaded, the redheaded, uh, uh, sister that she is, uh, from another mister, but, um, thanks, thanks Susan for, for doing what you do. My background brought me here. I could tell you a little story. Um, started out with the CPD, Chicago PD, not Chandler. And, uh, I worked there for 10 years and, uh, after 9-11, I decided I wanted to do something bigger, better, more. So I applied for the Air Marshal Service, and they picked me up right away. I went to the New York field office, had some am amazing training, um, flew around for about three years before they pulled me into the training department, and I became one of their trainers. I was one of the firearm instructors. I did tactics, defensive measures, the whole bit, and ended up, that was about the three-year mark, I ended up flying around for a total of 10 accumulated 1.9 million miles just on paper. We don't get to take those miles with us. But um, I also, uh, I guess you could say, I suffered a, a breast cancer diagnosis during that time. So there was a lot of talk and chatter amongst the ranks about whether or not all the cosmic radiation was causing health problems and there are a plethora of other issues that air marshals deal with. One in particular is sleep deprivation. And they were trying to do all these sleep studies, but it was all fluffed numbers. And it just, we knew that it was kind of kept under wraps and it wasn't the real story and the real information. So <clears throat> during my time, I, you know, I had a, that breast cancer diagnosis, I had to have a few surgeries. So that caused a problem because all they care about is getting you back in the air, getting you back in the airplane seat. And so you're constantly fighting with them to produce paperwork and it's very stressful. So, um, I had a bunch of, um, I had a bunch of minor surgeries that ended up causing uh, one complication in that, you know, I went back to work a little bit too soon and that was the fault of 
everybody. It was my doctors. It was my supervisors. It was just a a recipe for disaster. And so if you think about the surgeries and, and, um, you know, reconstruction and saving tissue and, you know, quality of life, the doctors, their main, um, you know, objective is to, to keep you as healthy as possible. So in that, they also want to keep you from hurting yourself. And so exposing yourself to, to, uh, trainings or to violent, uh, training, which is what we actually have to do. Every time you you come off medical, you have to go through a week's worth of rigorous training. And so I did that I ended up getting hurt again. And so the last thing my doctor wanted to do after he had to go in and kind of fix the damage, um, he didn't want to release me. So I got stuck in this loop where, you know, my job was like, come on back. When are you coming back? We have all these classes we want you to teach. We have crew member safety, uh, crew member self-defense safety classes, which is what we take. We actually take our training and kind of water it down a little bit so that if air marshals are not on the plane, we can actually teach the crew members some of our techniques and things and let them understand exactly how we move and not that we do specific training for them as far as what we do in our tactics, but we give them a little bit of insight into how we handle things. And so that maybe they can kind of put themselves in our shoes if we're not there. Um, and I did that and that's how I ended up getting hurt. But anyway, um, so they wanted me to come back to work and my doctor wouldn't release me and I was kind of scarred and <laughs> I was really afraid to make any moves. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to put them on the spot. And I'm going to see what they do. They'll keep me on light duty for about a year. And at that point, they're going to either have to hire me as a civilian instructor, because my doctor at this point won't force me. He won't allow me to come back to work. He's not going to sign off on me. And that posed another issue because I can't just call another doctor or another surgeon and say, hey, can you sign off on me to go back to work? Because every other doctor is like, you know, hands up. I'm not I'm not touching that paperwork. You know, you're kind of stuck. So I had no other choice but to put my agency on the spot. And when it came time to when that year mark came up and I thought this is where they're going to say, hey, um, well, we know you can't come back to work and fill a seat on the planes, but we can hire you to work as a civilian trainer in the training department. You could still teach firearms. You could still do admin work or scheduling or something because I thought, oh, they're, I'm too valuable to them. They're not going to get rid of me, right? They're going to hold on to me. I mean, look, they're paying me a, a great salary to do all this work and they've put all their, um, you know, they've invested a lot in me and that wasn't the case. I ended up getting what's called a an options letter, and they said uh, basically it was a it was a few different options. It was come back to work, quit, which I wasn't going to do, um, apply for a reasonable accommodation, which ends up always, for the most part, as far as I know, I don't think anyone's ever gotten a reasonable accommodation. And basically, they say, "Oh, we'll find you another position," which they just can't they can't figure out the. Um, you know, the positions and like I say, a TSA where they're going to make me like a supervisor to, you know, watch luggage come through the belt. They're not going to take my experience and put me in a position like that. So the other option was to medically retire. And I, with most other people, um, didn't know much about that. So they, uh, 
I had a few friends that were kind of pulling me aside saying, Hey, if you medically retire, we can help you. We have a binder and this is a, it's like an index and it's a lot of work. It's not easy, but if, here's the index. And if you can get a binder and start getting all your paperwork together, at least that's an option for you. So I did that and I ended up getting the medical retirement, which is kind of a blessing in disguise. It's not what I wanted, but that forced me to look at my life. And I was living in Chicago at the time, came out to Arizona, um, cried myself to sleep for about six months until I got a job at a local gun range. Um, that's where I met my now husband, who is also retired law enforcement from this area that we're in, in Arizona. And um, after I met him, I was introduced to uh, Susan, who is running Under the Shield. And he shared with me his experience with Under the Shield and stress coaching and what it meant and coming from law enforcement, I knew nothing about um, not non-mandated reporters. I didn't know that that existed. I thought that was just your buddies that you talk to at the bar, you know, when you're having a drink here and there. I didn't know that there was actual um, people out there that kind of came together and said, look, we're going to help you. We're going to actually get to the bottom of whatever the problem is, whether it's sleep deprivation or stress or uh, relationship issues. We have the tools to help you. And, um, again, you know, I, I met Susan through my, my now husband and, uh, we actually used, uh, her services. We've been sitting on her <laughs> in her office and talking about our marriage and relationship issues, because I think as a matter of fact, the first time I met Susan, it was through my husband and she looked at me and said, are you crazy? What are you doing dating this guy? He just got recently divorced. And I thought, well, we're kind of gluttons for punishment, right? We all stick together. It's hard to for law enforcement officers to, um, in my opinion, it's, it's kind of hard to, um, be married to someone outside your world that doesn't really understand what you go through every day. And I know what happens and I know there are successful marriages out there, but I've just always been around couples that are married to other law enforcement, you know, they're married to another law enforcement officer. So it's no surprise that I followed in everyone else's footsteps. Um, not to mention my dad, same thing. Uh, he was married, um, to a, uh, actually he wasn't married to a cop, but, um, he's just always been around cops his whole life. So, um, anyway, that is how I got involved with under the shield and I am now, um, a stress coach myself. So I've been through the training and I feel like if I can, you know, end my story, it's how you can, how do you take everything you've been through and all the stress that you've been through how do you turn that into a positive? And for me, I think like most of us, I think we realize it's turning and helping other people. That's how you um, help yourself and just help other people. And it's called post-traumatic growth. It's not really post-traumatic stress. It, I mean, it is, but let's look at it in a positive way. And how do we help others? How do we take that negativity, turn it into a positive and help others? So um, so that's my story and that's how I, um, got involved with under the shield and I'm so happy to be a part of the team. My name is Sherry and I am a native of Arizona. I background on me, basically I was in the Marine Corps and ended up meeting my husband. We got married, ended up coming down here and back into Arizona. He was hired at a local agency and seven years later I was also hired. Before I was before I became a police officer, he was involved in a shooting 
and it took the life of a dear friend of ours. And that's kind of where my garbage can started getting plugged up. And Susan mentions that a lot through the, under the shield. The garbage can, the garbage can getting filled up and um, never worked on it, never worked on me. Thought everything was good because you know what? I'm a big badass Marine, so I can't be getting help from anybody. Again, now the seven years, I'm a police officer and I am now 20 years on and I ended up meeting Susan about three years ago-ish and we were having issues because that garbage can started to fill up and overflow and a co-worker of ours, Christopher, uh, Chris Farrar, he ended up uh, getting back with me and he noticed that I wasn't right. Um, he noticed I was having some hard times Be, and because I kept everything to myself because it was nobody else's business and I had to keep that strong persona out in the public, he ended up basically We've known each other for quite a while, and he ended up pulling me aside, asked me if I needed any help, and here I am three years later, and I'm actually here to fix Susan. So I had to throw that in there. That's the only reason I'm here. I'm going to end it at that because you know what? This is all me working for her. Um, I'm here to help her. It's nothing about me. I'm super sane and perfect. Anyways, God bless you, Susan. I love you. I love Under the Shield. It's there for you. Um, I know I'm a bit of a jokester, but you know what? Uh, this is some much needed help, and we need this while we're alive, not after the fact. Be safe, y'all. My name is Dave. I've worked in uh, law enforcement for about 21 years now. I was involved in a an incident about 12 years ago where a friend was killed uh, on duty and I, re I it really bothered me over several years. I, I had done a uh, counseling and uh, the traditional stress management types of things uh, that I thought everyone was supposed to do to help cope with that incident. Uh, and I realized, you know, in retrospect, I realized that it, it wasn't as effective as it sh probably should have been. I, I don't think I ever got to a place where I was suicidal, uh, but I was, I found myself taking riskier behavior or doing, having risk behavior, I guess, if that makes sense. Uh, just doing more and more dangerous things at work uh, because that was kind of, how I coped with things, how I felt alive. Um, you know, you get kind of addicted to the excitement, if you will. Um, some of the assignments that I had during my career, um, I was working undercover or it was just a very adrenaline driven uh, positions and 
And I guess I just realized over time that um, it, I wasn't probably as resilient uh, as I should have been. And those, the consequences of that uh, started to deteriorate my relationships. Uh, I became more and more withdrawn. And it just wasn't wasn't healthy. Um, the also the uh, the incident where my coworker was killed. Uh, there was a a very prolonged court process um, that literally took over a decade to to complete. And that that process in and of itself, um, every time a new trial would come up, another hearing, um, the the an anniversary, the, the feelings of anger would just resurface. And um, some of my previous work, I'd worked uh, or volunteered as a suicide and crisis counselor. Uh, so I knew some of the things that, you know, that to watch out for uh, in myself and in others. Um, but you know, and unfortunately here in the, in the state of Arizona, the laws uh, well, very are very restrictive when it comes down to you know what you can tell a counselor, and I think every cop knows that because we go to you know I'd worked in two different states, and you know we go to the calls where you know there's a question if somebody's going to hurt themselves or be a danger to someone else, and I think in law enforcement you you start to question yourself. And you don't want to put that trust into somebody else. So, you know, and trying to find a place where you could be vulnerable and honest about your feelings, whether it's, um, you know, this makes me so mad I could, you know, kill somebody or like just being angry about it and trying to um, vocalize that. And there was a there was a relief to being able to share that um, and, and not a fear that um, that's you know, under the shield or Susan specifically was going to, you know, I think she probably laughed at me the first time I told her that. Um, and that was, that was a safe place. Um, and, and it was meaningful. And had I had those opportunities earlier on, uh, when I first started kind of experiencing some of the symptoms, I think it would have been more therapeutic for me. I think I would have recovered faster. And I, I don't think uh, I would have done as much damage in my other relationships uh, or friendships uh, because I would have had that, that place to unload or, you know, one of the metaphors Susan talks about is emptying your garbage can. And had I had the opportunities earlier um, and regularly to get in and talk about things and, and dump that stuff, I think it, I would have been much happier. And the quality of my, just me being the, the person that I want to be, uh, it would have been much easier to do. The reason that I wanted to get involved uh, after, you know, over a decade was because I wanted to provide those opportunities to other people. And um, I think there's a lot of very well-intended folks um, 
that want to do this, whether it's through peer support or in the mental health field. And, um, but having that, that experience uh, and being able to be anonymous with someone uh, just provides a, a different level of uh, protection for them. Um, and so that was kind of what I, what I wanted to do. I'd like to thank everyone who shared their story and testimony today. Um, it's not always easy to get on the microphone or stand up in front of somebody or talk to your peers and tell them that how broken you are. Um, but trust me, all of us feel that same way um, at some point in our careers or after our careers even. Um, the effects of the job uh, for first responders because of everything that we see all the time and deal with um, takes a toll on us. Um, and like Susan says, we need to empty our psychological garbage can. That's what we do here at Under the Shield. We'll help you unload that garbage can, uh, get you feeling better so that you're prepared to go back to work each day and stay in the fight. Um, we rely heavily on our donations here at Under the Shield to keep our doors open. And this January 7th, we're having um, our first annual Chris Farrar softball police versus fire department tournament. Um, and we have uh, some of our local businesses here have really chipped in and gave us uh, some funds to help us stay afloat. Um, our platinum sponsor, Santan Ford, um, they're very pro law enforcement and fire department. Actually, all of our sponsors are, um, but Santan Ford really stepped up this year and they're our only platinum sponsor. Uh, and so we can't thank them enough for that. Um, we have, um, our silver sponsors who also, they stepped up giving us money to keep our doors afloat, uh, to help all of you first responders. Um, and those sponsors are Arizona Bank and Trust. They're a great local community bank. Um, they take care of you, um, police, fire, military, and families, just like we will. Um, SCAG's Public Safety Uniform and Equipment. If you, I know I went to SCAG's numerous times over my career uh, to get equipment that I needed for the job. Um, they they have a wonderful supply, uh, and they're great people there to help you. Um, click, click, bang firearms. If you need any firearms stuff, uh, you need ammunition to go practice on, you want to get a new firearm, go check out Click, Click, Bang. They're a great local uh, community firearms dealer here in the Valley. Um, Quantum Helicopters. If you want to learn how to fly a helicopter, they're the place to go to. Um, Neil and Doug over there, they're, they're great people, uh, very pro law enforcement and fire, and go check them out if you want to learn to fly helicopters. Um, and our last um, silver sponsor is Property Rock Resources. Uh, they do professional landscaping services. Uh, so if you uh, are tired of mowing your own lawn, give them a call and they can help you out. Again, I'd like to thank all of our uh, sponsors for the tournament this year and we're looking to have a great time there in honor of Chris and we'll have 13 teams out there to play 
Um, and so we'll see who the victor is. One of the teams is actually the family of Chris Ferrari's kids. And, and so we'll see where everything, where the chips fall and who comes out as the victor. We got some trophies and good prizes that we'll be doing out there during the, uh, during the tournament. So come out and check us out. Game start at eight o'clock on January 7th. Um, if, uh, again, if, if somebody's story resonated with you, let us know. We're here for you. Uh, we'll contact um, that person, get you in touch with them. Um, if you want to reach out to us for some assistance here at Under the Shield, um, call us 24 hours a day. It doesn't matter. If you call our 800 number, um, please let it ring because um, it's going to roll to the first stress coach if they're not available it'll roll to the next one so it may roll to three maybe four people before um, the first available one answers so it could take a little bit um, but just know that if you call that number and you press extension one for a stress coach immediate stress coach uh, we don't have your number so if you hang up we can't call you back um, that number is 855-889-2348. Again, 855-889-2348. If you want to speak directly with Susan, you can reach her at 334-324-3570. And if you want to talk to me, you can reach me at 480-861-6574. I hope that everybody out there has a, um, a wonderful New Year's. Um, uh, I do want to thank everybody for listening and supporting us this year. Um, it's been a good year, and hopefully 2023 will be even better. Come back and listen to us, and we have a special guest, our first podcast for, for the new year.